Chapters 20 to 25 of North Lancashire, Cambridge County Geographies by J. E. Marr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 20 Architecture A. General. It will be convenient to consider under these headings the ecclesiastical, military, and domestic buildings of the county. Before doing so, however, we may offer some observations on the edifices in general. We may remark at the outset that here, as elsewhere, the buildings are affected by the nature of the materials available, local stone being mainly used. Thus, in the area of the Ordovician rocks, stones of that age are chiefly seen. In the Carboniferous tracts, the limestones and sandstones belonging to that geological system have been employed. These Carboniferous rocks, and especially the sandstones, form the main building materials in our area. A preliminary word on the various styles of English architecture is necessary before we consider the churches and other important buildings of our county. Pre-Norman, or, as it is usually, though with no great certainty termed, Saxon building in England, was the work of early craftsmen with an imperfect knowledge of stone construction, who commonly used rough rubble walls, no buttresses, small semicircular or triangular arches, and square towers, with what is termed long and short work, at the coins or corners. It survives almost solely in portions of small churches. The Norman conquest started a widespread building of massive churches and castles in the continental style, called Romanesque, which in England has got the name of Norman. They had walls of great thickness, semicircular vaults, round-headed doors and windows, and massive square towers. From 1150 to 1200 the building became lighter, the arches pointed, and there was perfected the science of vaulting by which the weight is brought upon piers and buttresses. This method of building, the Gothic, originated from the endeavour to cover the widest and loftiest areas with the greatest economy of stone. The first English Gothic, called Early English, from about 1180 to 1250, is characterised by slender piers, commonly of marble, lofty pointed vaults, and long narrow lancet-headed windows. After 1250, the windows became broader, divided up, and ornamented by patterns of tracery, while in the vault the ribs were multiplied. The greatest elegance of English Gothic was reached from 1260 to 1290, at which date English sculpture was at its highest, and art in painting, coloured glass-making, and general craftsmanship at its zenith. After 1300, the structure of stone buildings began to be overlaid with ornament. The window tracery and vault ribs were of intricate patterns, the pinnacles and spires loaded with crocket and ornament. This later style is known as decorated, and came to an end with the Black Death which stopped all building for a time. With the changed conditions of life, the type of building changed. With curious uniformity and quickness, the style called perpendicular, which is unknown abroad, developed after 1360 in all parts of England, and lasted with scarcely any change up to 1520. As its name implies, it is characterised by the perpendicular arrangement of the tracery and panels on walls and in windows, and it is also distinguished by the flattened arches 
and the square arrangement of the mouldings over them by the elaborate vault traceries especially fan vaulting and by the use of flat roofs and towers without spires the medieval styles in england ended with the dissolution of the monasteries fifteen thirty to fifteen forty for the reformation checked the building of churches there succeeded the building of manor houses in which the style called tudor arose distinguished by flat-headed windows level ceilings and panelled rooms the ornaments of classic style were introduced under the influences of renaissance sculpture and distinguished the jacobean style so called after james i about this time the professional architect arose hitherto building had been entirely in the hands of the builder and the craftsman there is one character which is common to many of the buildings of the county whether ecclesiastical military or domestic and as it is one of particular geographical import it must be noticed north lancashire not far from the borders has witnessed much fighting and has been the scene of raids consequently other edifices than those erected exclusively for military purposes required fortifying the quadrangular tower the nucleus of the norman fortification served as the pattern for other fortified buildings and accordingly the tower of this type forms a noteworthy feature of many ecclesiastical and domestic buildings chapter twenty one architecture b ecclesiastical churches and religious houses the ecclesiastical buildings of north lancashire include the churches and the religious houses many of the churches have undergone much restoration and although in some cases the ancient character has been preserved during the process in too many it has been completely destroyed we may give examples of various ecclesiastical buildings which illustrate the different styles of architecture of pre-norman buildings we have no large examples such as are found in other parts of the country but certain very interesting remains are found in the promontory which lies south of morecambe between the bay and the estuary of the loon in this promontory far from the lines of main traffic until quite recently we may well expect that buildings which if situated elsewhere would have been destroyed would escape the hands of the spoiler parts of the fabric of st peter's church haysham have been claimed as pre-norman it is marked by thick walls with hard mortar and stones built in somewhat irregularly the church contains a narrow round-headed doorway the most interesting relic of the times of which we speak is however the little chapel of st patrick which stands on the cliff near st peter's church it was but twenty-four feet long and eight feet wide only the west walls and part of the south side are now standing in the latter are remains of a window and a narrow doorway surmounted by a semicircular arch formed of a single stone ornamented with semicircular flutings the norman period is represented by some interior work and several doorways in cartmel priory the pillars of the interior supporting the tower are of this date as are also the arches inside hawkshead church and those of the south aisle of aldingham church doorways of norman architecture may be seen in the churches of ulverston broughton in furness kirkby isleth and overton examples of the style of the period of transition from norman to gothic are found in the small church of stid 
near Ribchester, which is eighteen yards long and nine yards broad, and in the church of Furness Abbey, which was chiefly built at this time, though it underwent many subsequent alterations. The doorway of the north transept of that church illustrates this period of transition. The early English period is represented by some of the buildings of Furness Abbey. The chapter house furnishes admirable examples. The windows in the north transept of Cartmel Priory, the doorways at Gressingham, and the south door of Stid Church may be quoted as examples of this period. Various minor examples of the decorated period are found. Some beautiful decorated windows have unfortunately been removed from Urswick Church, but are preserved in a garden at Hawkshead. The infirmary of Furness Abbey is of this period, but some of the best representatives of decorated architecture are found in Cartmel Priory. Special mention may be made of the beautiful windows in the south aisle of the chancel, as good examples of a special style of late decorated work. Much perpendicular work is found throughout our district. A great part of Lancaster Parish Church is in this style. Better examples are various windows in the Church of Furness Abbey, much of Aldingham and Wharton churches, the towers of Hornby and Boltonley Sands, and windows in the transepts, nave and piper choir of Cartmel Priory. Let us now turn to the religious houses, some of which have been mentioned to illustrate styles of architecture. Of abbeys, the principal was the great establishment of Furness, whose monastic buildings are situated in a secluded valley not far from the southern end of the Furness Peninsula. It was founded by monks of the Benedictine order in 1127, but in 1148 became a Cistercian abbey. The abbot was a person of great importance and was chief lord of the liberties and royalties of Furness. In addition to most of the lands of Furness, the abbey erected and possessed many buildings, as the manor house at Hawkshead Hall and the castle at Peel. It had much cultivated land, forests, hunting grounds and fisheries. The abbey was surrendered to Henry VIII in 1537. Among the existing portions of the abbey are remains of the church, and of other conventual buildings, the chapter house, fratry, infirmary, and part of the abbot's house still exist. Cockersand Abbey, situated just south of the Lune Estuary, was founded at the end of the 12th century, on the site of a pre-existing hospital, as a house of the Premonstratensian monks. Of the buildings, the octagonal chapter house alone remains. The Cistercian Abbey of Wyersdale was an offshoot of Furness Abbey, and was founded towards the end of the 12th century. Its actual site is unknown. Priories existed at Lancaster, Cartmel, Conishead, Hornby and Cockerham. St Mary's Priory, Lancaster, was the first religious house in Lancashire. It was founded by Roger of Poitou in the reign of William II. The monks were of the Premonstratensian order. No remains of this priory now exist. Cartmel Priory was founded in 1188 by the Earl of Pembroke as a priory of Augustinian canons, but a church stood here before the foundation of the priory. Reference has already been made to the existing priory church. Conishead Priory on the west side of the Leven Estuary was founded by Gabriel de Pennington in the reign of Henry II as a hospital for lepers and poor persons, 
but was soon converted into a priory of the Augustinian monks. No remains of the priory now stand, and the present building of that name is a modern erection. Hornby Priory was a cell belonging to the Premonstratensian Abbey of Croxton in Leicestershire. A few sculptured stones are still found in the grounds of the Priory Farm. The Augustinian Priory of Cockerham was established in 1207 or 1208. No remains of the building are left standing. The site of a Franciscan friary stands about half a mile from Preston Market Place, and that of a Benedictine monastery at Tulketh near Preston, on the north side of the Ribble. Chapter 22. Architecture. C. Military and other castles. The division into military, ecclesiastical and domestic architecture is, for North Lancashire, somewhat arbitrary. Several of the castles were not strictly speaking military, though designed for defence, but this was also the case with many of the manor houses, and even ecclesiastical buildings in the troublous borderland were to some extent fortified. Lancaster Castle was in a strict sense a military castle, and it is by far the most important of the castles of North Lancashire. In the first place let us consider the natural advantages of its site. The Normans were quick to seize upon sites which possessed such advantages, though, as in the present case, they frequently chose places which the Romans, with their genius for the selection of strategic positions, had previously occupied. Standing on the high ground on which the castle is built, one looks eastward over the high moorlands, which stretch away towards the Pennines, and to the west are the flats of the Lancashire Plain, which at no distant date were a network of mosses and marshlands. Between highland and marshland the great route to the north lay, and crossed the loon over the shallows. Overlooking these shallows is the northern end of a ridge which lies between a little valley, in which most of the modern town of Lancaster stands, and the low ground of the loon to the north-west. Upon this northern end the castle was erected. The Norman castles, as first built, consisted of quadrangular towers or keeps. Subsequent additions were made to the castles in the form of a wall with subsidiary towers surrounding the ward or inner space on which stood the keep, while other subsidiary buildings might be erected in this ward. The castle was apparently built so that about half lay within and half without the old Roman wall. The keep was erected by Roger of Quato before 1102, and it is the only part of the castle which has retained anything like its original appearance. Of the present buildings, much of the surrounding wall with its towers is modern, but parts of older buildings still stand. The great entrance gateway was probably built early in the 15th century. It contains windows of perpendicular style of architecture. To the south of the keep is a tower known popularly as Adrian's Tower, it has a modern exterior, but inside it is some work showing the style of the period transitional between the Norman and the early English styles, and probably dating from before 1200. The old dungeon tower is now destroyed, but the interior of the well tower north of the gateway has some transitional work. The upper part of the keep was rebuilt in the reign of Queen Elizabeth, Long after Norman times, the castle was of importance in connection with the frequent raids and guerrilla wars conducted by the Scotch borderers. Chapter 23. 
it was ultimately used as a prison, but even in this state, important events are connected with it, including the imprisonment of the Lancashire witches before their execution in 1612, and of George Fox, the founder of the Society of Friends, in 1664. Peel Castle, or the Pile of Fouldry, situated on an island at the southern extremity of the Furness Peninsula, was built by the monks of Furness Abbey in Stephen's reign, as a protection against raiders from Scotland. It was repaired and strengthened in the 14th century. The existing portions are part of the keep, and remains of inner and outer walls, which once enclosed the keep. Four towers of the inner wall stand, one of which is a gate tower, and there are three towers of the outer wall. Lambert Simnel landed here in 1487. The other castles were built by members of important Lancashire families. Gleaston Castle, near Aldingham, in the Furness Peninsula, is said to have been erected by the Harringtons. The date of erection is unknown, but its style points to the early part of the 14th century. Little now remains. Hornby Castle, on a hill overlooking the Loon and Wenning, about nine miles above Lancaster, is first mentioned in 1362. The chief event connected with it occurred when it belonged to the Stanleys, the attack by the Scotch in 1513. Little of the old edifice is left. Thurland Castle, the seat of the Tunstalls, is a few miles higher up the Loon. The original building was erected in the reign of Henry IV, but the existing edifice is almost wholly modern. Greenhalgh Castle, close to Garstang, was built by the Earl of Derby in 1490 for the protection of his estates. It was held for the king by a later earl in 1643 and was afterwards almost completely destroyed by Cromwell. A fragment only remains. Dalton Castle may be mentioned as a building uniting in some respects the characteristics of the castle and the Peel Tower. Its early history is unknown. Chapter 23 Architecture, D. Domestic. Manor houses, cottages. In many parts of our district there has been an extensive erection of modern buildings with varied styles of architecture. With these we are not so much concerned, but shall consider more particularly the ancient buildings which present certain features typical of this part of the country. The more ancient dwellings may be divided into two classes. The manor houses of the lords of the manor, and the cottages of the peasants. The more interesting manor houses were built between the 14th and the 17th centuries. The characteristic feature of these is the Peel Tower, rendered necessary for a people liable to raids. It originally constituted the whole dwelling. These towers were modelled on the keeps of the Norman castles. They were rectangular and usually three-storied. In the lower story were kept stores, the inhabitants occupied the middle one by day and slept in the upper one by night. The roof was used for fighting purposes when raiders had to be repelled. The peel tower stood in an enclosure called the Balmkin, surrounded by a wall. Into this Balmkin the cattle were driven when raids were feared. In later times dining halls and other additions were built out from the peel tower. Raysholme Tower, one mile from Kent's Bank, and Broughton Tower at Broughton in Furness are examples of Peel Towers, and the tower at Borwick Hall near Carnforth 
is modified from an earlier peel tower. Of other Tudor houses we may mention Swarthmore Hall, about one mile from Ulverston, whither George Fox arrived in 1652, and with which he was connected for about thirty years. Marsh Grange on the east side of the Duddon estuary near the Isle of Dunnerholme, built to serve as a residence for people employed by the Abbot of Furness, and the birthplace of Margaret Askew, afterwards married to George Fox, Kirkby Hall near Kirkby Isleth, Coniston Hall by the shores of Coniston Lake, and Clawton Hall on the banks of the Loon, between Caton and Hornby. It has been seen that, after the Reformation, church building was checked, and that, as far as ecclesiastical architecture is concerned, there is little to be said about the North Lancashire buildings of the Renaissance period. It is otherwise, however, with the manor houses, which continued to be set up during this period. Many of them were erected in an L-shape, and the Peel Tower disappeared. The classic influence is displayed in many of the details of these buildings. As examples of the houses of the Renaissance period, we may notice Cark Hall in the south end of the Cartmel Peninsula, a fair example of an old manor house, and High Satterhow near Sawry, between Windermere and Esthwaite. Much of the structure of Borwick Hall is also Jacobean. The view of Graithwaite Old Hall on the southwest side of Windermere will give an idea of the appearance of the interior of an ancient manor house. Many modern buildings retain relics of ancient manor houses, as for instance Ashton Hall south of Lancaster, the seat of Lord Ashton, and Thurnham Hall south of this, where the old priest hall still exists. The earlier cottages of the peasants were usually built of rough stone, often without mortar. They generally had three rooms on the ground floor, a sitting room and kitchen combined, a parlour and a dairy. Stone steps, sometimes outside the house, led to a loft or sleeping room. Various modifications naturally occur. Chapter 24 Communications, Past and Present, Roads, Railways, Canals Study of the map at the beginning of this book will show that the principal lines of communication, whether road, rail or canal, are chiefly confined to the lower grounds. This is due to two things. Firstly, the principal towns and villages are situated upon the low grounds, and secondly, unless a very roundabout line is required to avoid high ground, the roads and railways will be carried from place to place along the lowlands. Occasionally a route must traverse high ground, and then a pass is usually utilised, as for instance that of the Trough of Bowland, at a height of about a thousand feet, through which lies the direct route between Lancaster and Clitheroe. This pass has hills from 400 to 500 feet above it on either side. The pre-Roman inhabitants of North Lancashire, like latter-day barbarians of other countries, no doubt possessed an intricate network of paths connecting hamlet with hamlet. Such paths would be kept open through the undergrowth of the lowlands, and would in some cases extend over higher ridges. Having no definite construction, those subsequently abandoned would tend to disappear, while those which continued in use would show no signs of their formation during pre-Roman days. The Romans were great road-makers. Portions of their roads yet exist, for they were often carefully constructed of stones, 
and were therefore more durable than those of much later times. The principal Roman roads met at the station of Ribchester, the road from the south of England coming through the Roman town of Mancunium, Manchester, here crossed the Ribble, and entered North Lancashire. It was continued northward over Longridge Fell, and up the valley of the Hodder, crossing the fells of the forest of Boland near Bolton Head, at a height of about 1,500 feet above sea level. It then passed northward on the right bank of the Hindbourne, crossed the Wenning near Bentham, and entering the valley of the Loon, reached the Roman station at Overborough, near Kirkby Lonsdale, after which it entered Westmoreland, and went away to Carlisle and Scotland. From Ribchester three other roads left this main north road. One went a little north of east across the Pennines to the Roman station at Ilkley, and so communicated with the important district of the Plain of York. This soon crossed the Ribble, and so quitted what is now North Lancashire. In the opposite direction a road was carried to a Roman seaport, which stood on the north side of the Ribble estuary at the Neb of the Nees, or Nays Mount, near Freckleton, to the west of Preston. A third road extended in a direction west of north over the western end of Longridge Fell, and passing along the junction of high and low ground, reached Lancaster. From Lancaster another road went up the Loon Valley, and joined that first described at Overborough. From Overborough a road ran southeastward into Yorkshire, but this soon quitted Lancashire soil. An early Roman route seems to have left Lancashire to cross the sands of Morecambe Bay, and pass along the coast of Cartmel and Furness, thence crossing Duddon Sands into Cumberland, and so around the Cumbrian coast to Carlisle. Lastly, a road leaving the Roman station at the head of Windermere, went westward over Rhinos Pass, near the line of the county boundary, and entering Cumberland ended at the Roman port at Ravenglass. From the time of the Romans to the early part of the 19th century, when Macadam caused a return to the use of stone foundations, the roads of Britain were very bad, and much difficulty was experienced in getting from place to place. The introduction of the method of formation of roads due to Macadam was necessitated by the rapid development of stagecoach travelling about that time. Of the modern roads we need say little, for those of importance are indicated on the maps on the covers. The great artery of road traffic extends from Preston to Lancaster, where it branches, one branch going along the low ground to Kendal, and northward over the fells, the other up the Vale of Loon past Kirkby Lonsdale, to join the former on Chap Fells in Westmoreland. The first Lancashire railway was that between Manchester and Liverpool opened in 1830, but it was not until 1844 to 1846 that the railway came into that part of the county with which we are concerned. In these years the Lancaster and Carlisle railway was made. Nowadays four important railway companies have lines in the northern part of the county, namely the London and North Western, Midland, Furness, and Lancashire and Yorkshire. The main line of the London and North Western system enters the north of the county at Preston, and running northward through Lancaster, leaves the county north of Carnforth. From Garstang, a line owned by a separate company, runs via Pilling to Knot End. From Lancaster, branches of the London and North Western Railway 
are carried to Glasson Dock and Morecambe. The Midland Railway enters the county near Wennington and runs down the Loon Valley to Lancaster, Morecambe and Haysham. The Lancaster and Haysham portion is electrified. A joint line of the Midland and Furness companies connects Wennington with Carnforth. The Furness line starts from Carnforth and extends along the north coast of Morecambe Bay through Ulverston and Barrow in Furness to Foxfield Junction, where it enters Cumberland. Branch lines go to Lakeside, Windermere, and Conishead Priory from Ulverston, to Peel Pier from Barrow, and to Coniston from Foxfield Junction. The Lancashire and Yorkshire and London and North Western companies have joint lines between Preston, Blackpool and Fleetwood, Preston, Lytham and St Anne's on Sea, and Preston and Longridge, and a line also connects Blackpool with Lytham. An electric tramway runs parallel with the coast between Blackpool and Fleetwood, and similar tramways run in the larger towns. The Preston and Kendall Canal passes through Lancaster and leaves the county near Burton in Westmoreland. A branch extends to Glasson Dock. Packet boats for passengers began to run on this canal in 1820, but have long been discontinued. A short canal connects Ulverston with Morecambe Bay. Chapter 25. Administration and Divisions, Ancient and Modern. It has been seen that Lancashire is of late date as compared with most other English counties. Before the formation of the county, various divisions existed for administrative purposes. Thus we find in Doomsday Book that South Lancashire is treated with Cheshire and North Lancashire with Yorkshire, and before those shires were created, other divisions must have existed. In the early days of tribes, administration was no doubt at first mainly a family affair, and later an affair of clans, but as the tracts of land under one ruler increased, it was necessary to make divisions of the tracts, in each of which administration of some of its affairs was local, and accordingly the administration by families and clans was replaced by a territorial one. The early Saxon shires of the south each probably the result of expansion outwards of a definite colony, formed convenient territorial areas for administrative purposes, and under the Normans those areas which had not thus been parcelled out were formed into counties. Hence the existence of the county of Lancashire for similar purposes. The Saxons had eldermen or governors, who appointed deputies called sheriffs, shire-reeves, reeve being equivalent to our word steward the inferior people were partly keols or freemen and partly villeins who were labourers in the service of particular persons and not strictly slaves upon the establishment of the feudal system by the normans many of the saxon laws and customs were retained as was also the old distinction of classes thus there were counts or earls barons, knights, esquires, free tenants, and villeins. William the Conqueror bestowed the district upon Roger of Poitou, who ruled it as a count, and divided portions of it among his followers. The system of local government necessitated the division of the county into minor tracts for administrative purposes. It was separated into hundreds, which are supposed to have been so called because each originally contained a hundred families or freemen. Of these there are six, of which two are in North Lancashire, namely 
Lonsdale, north and south of the Sands, and Amounderness. A further division was made into parishes, each with its own officials, and the parishes were again divided into townships or constable wicks. As the shire had its sheriff, so the parish had its own special reeve or presiding official. The gradual accumulation of numbers of people in restricted areas gave rise to towns, and necessitated special government in the case of these towns apart from that exercised by the constable of an ordinary constable wick with his subordinates. The powers of government of a corporate town are granted by a royal charter, and the first charter possessed by the town of Lancaster is dated 1193. The administrative powers of those responsible for the government of the town were altered by many subsequent charters, and the town is now governed by a corporation of 32 members, including the mayor, eight of whom are aldermen. Other corporate towns of North Lancashire are Barrow in Furness, Blackpool, Morecambe and Preston. Barrow, being a town of modern growth, only obtained its charter of incorporation in 1867. The corporation, like that of Lancaster, consists of a mayor, eight aldermen and 24 councillors. Blackpool received its charter in 1876. There are 48 members of council, of whom 12 are aldermen. Morecambe is a town of modern growth. It obtained its charter in 1902. There are 24 members of council, of whom 6 are aldermen. Preston, like Lancaster, was a corporate town in early days, a charter having been granted in 1179. There are 36 members of council, of whom 12 are aldermen. When the county was first constituted, its voice in the general affairs of the nation was slight. When the Great Charter was signed in 1215, one of its provisions was that its articles were to be carried out by knights from each shire chosen in the county court. Thus the influence of the county in national affairs became more direct. In 1295, the first complete parliament assembled, and besides others, two knights were summoned from each shire, two citizens from each city, and two burgesses from each borough. Since then, the county has had full share in the government of the nation, and after many changes, the northern part of the county is now represented by six members of parliament, chosen by the burgesses of the following divisions and boroughs. The Blackpool Division, one member, Lancaster Division, one member, North Lonsdale Division, one member, Borough of Barrow-in-Furness, one member, Borough of Preston, two members. Let us turn now to the present government of the county, which has gradually grown out of the old administrative system. The head officer of the county is the Lord Lieutenant, who in some ways represents his Norman predecessor, who under the title of Count, Earl or other name, was at the head of affairs. The Lord Lieutenant represents the Crown in the county, and one of his duties is to nominate all Deputy Lieutenants and Justices of the Peace. The High Sheriff of today is to some extent representative of the Norman Sheriff, although his duties are much restricted in comparison with those of the ancient officer, and are chiefly connected with the affairs of the law. He is Keeper of the King's Peace within the county, and he attends the judges of the realm when on circuit. 
a recently constituted body with purely administrative functions is the county council it consists of a chairman vice-chairman aldermen and elected councillors the county is divided into a large number of electoral districts each of which returns a councillor from these are chosen the aldermen among its functions are the management of county halls and buildings pauper lunatic asylums bridges and main roads the appointment of certain officers such as coroners the control of parliamentary polling districts and contagious diseases of animals the county council are also the local education authorities through an education committee there are also rural district urban and parish councils for the administration of smaller areas of the county of the public schools in the county the best known are rossell school stonyhurst college and lancaster grammar school to which reference is made elsewhere for purposes of justice the northern part of the county has assizes which are held at lancaster quarter sessions presided over by a chairman of quarter sessions and also a number of petty sessions each having justices of the peace whose duty it is to try and to punish offenders against the law civil cases are tried in the county court over which a special judge presides north lancashire before eighteen forty seven was in the diocese of chester in that year the diocese of manchester was created the greater part of north lancashire being included but the following parishes in the tract north of the sands are in the diocese of carlisle hawkshead cartmel and colton with their dependent ecclesiastical parishes aldingham and dalton with dependent parishes kirby isleth pennington ulverston and urswick the dioceses are divided into archdeaconries these into rural deaneries and these still further into ecclesiastical parishes which are not the same as the civil parishes end of chapters 20 to 25